So um, if you want to know what we'll get done this year, we're going to have a lot of investigations. And, and before I start and go through this, um, I want to give my condolences to Mr. Cummings' family. I mean, um, we, we, we're on different sides of things, and a lot of times the persona of what's out there to the public is not really what you see as a person. And this guy was a worthy adversary by far. But he was the, probably the most respected adversary on the other side of the aisle. Because as big and tough as he was, was as gentle as he was. I mean, I, I've had, and most anyone who worked with him and debated with him would call him a dear friend. Not for the sake of the public, but personally, and would care about one another. And um, from anybody on each side. And so he, he, he's going to be deeply missed. And he, he had an amazing career. I did not know he was that sick. I, I knew he had problems, but um, yeah, he, he, he was remarkable and kind to all. Um, let me walk through the things I think we will do, and then we talk a little politics at the same time since we're across the street and you guys don't get enough meetings. Um, what I think will happen, it's, you're watching what's happening on impeachment, that's going to overtake everything. I mean, we've had a really big week. We were gone for two weeks, so we came back to take up two amendments that they created, a, made a rule bill for financial services that we could have got done on our first night back, but that's what we're back for, so people wonder why you're here. Um, they're handling impeachment totally different. They disrespect their own chair of judiciary. I mean, I don't know, is Nadler still invited to their conferences? I'm not sure. The judiciary committee members there, they're frustrated that they're not going to do everything. They put it all in the power of Adam Schiff. I don't know whether they'll tell us the truth today or tomorrow. We, we put a um, censure resolution on the floor. And I, and I want you to take it for what it is. It's not saying he should be removed from Congress or anything else. But you all know because you've been here and you've worked here and you understand this place. To be on Intel Committee is different than any other committee. You're not picked by the conference. You're selected just by the leader of the party. Being the leader of the party, everybody asked to be on Intel Committee. And you're asked to be on Intel Committee because you are going to see and read things that members of Congress who've been here 25 years never have the opportunity or the knowledge to know. So there's a trust to those who are on there that when you come and explain something to us, we trust in it that you're going to be honest, you're direct, and that you took the time and effort. And before anybody can go on the Intel Committee, I interview them. And it's not just do you have the capability to be on there. Are you willing to put the work into it? Are you willing to travel? Are you willing to see on the ground? Are you willing to be held accountable in the process? So when you're put to that position, you kind of should be held to a different standard. And the current chair of the Intel Committee, Adam Schiff, lied to us at the beginning of last time. That he said he had proof beyond circumstantial. So he put the country through a nightmare. And if he had proof, how could Comey, how could everybody else not find this? Mueller, who had all the money, the millions, all the people at his um, disposal, to whoever he wanted to get, going to 13 different countries and all? Okay, so he didn't know it. But then he had this new revelation that he started to tweet in August that about a whistleblower. He's really concerned that we were going to disallow this whistleblower to come to the committee and testify. So we all voted. Lo and behold, it was different than what he said, because we all said we'd vote for it, and we didn't. And he says that um, there was quick pro quo in the conversation. So he made a president of the United States release a transcript that no president should have to do. 
He weakened the country. Having been a member of the Intel Committee, knowing what that would do to relationships to anybody who holds that office in the future. But how is any other world leader going to be honest with that individual? <coughs> that we're going to weaken national security. And he came from that. Because he said he knew. And why did he know? Because he did not know who this whistleblower was. This was whistleblower did not have first-hand experience, but he had second-hand knowledge. So there was quick pro quo. So the president releases it. Prior to the president releasing it, the speaker thinks she's got to get into an impeachment inquiry. She cannot wait 48 hours. It's just too important. Why can't you do that? Because that's the way the plan is written, just like I'm going to walk into this meeting and blow this meeting up. Then he's asked on television, does he know who the whistleblower is? No. God, I wish I did. I hope they would come forward. Lo and behold, what did we learn after we were in the impeachment inquiry? Yeah, he knows who the whistleblower is. His staff met with the whistleblower. The whistleblower then goes to the inspector general. You know one thing the whistleblower did not say to the inspector general? That he met with a congressional office. But even not saying that, the, the inspector general believes he's politically biased. A lot of you are attorneys. If you had met with a witness, and you were the only person who knows what was said, or how many times you met, or what you talked about, you'd probably be a fact witness, would you not? Where in our judicial system ever allows a fact witness to be the prosecutor? Only in Pelosi's house. So he lies to the American public again about a whistleblower. And instead of handling impeachment the way we've always should, and we say it so lightly in today's nature, but we, we should actually understand what does impeachment mean? That we are going to try to remove somebody from office that was duly elected. Every other Congress before has believed that was such a great responsibility that no one person should make the decision. No one committee should make the, the decision either. That everybody in the House, because we're all... Our power is only loaned to us every two years. And we are supposed to be the voice for those individuals. So everybody should have a say before you go to this impeachment inquiry. We were not in Pelosi's house. Normally, we go through the Judiciary Committee, but they don't even trust their own chair or the committee itself. So they removed it to the Intel Committee, to an individual who's lied to us numerous times. And when you have it in the Intel Committee, why? So the public cannot see so we put a person in charge who's going to lie. We put a person in charge who's going to pick and choose which witness comes. And we're going to set a structure that's different than however we've treated anybody before in handling this. When Richard Nixon was up for impeachment and it was a Democrat-controlled house, you know what they decided? In a due process. That yes, his counsel could have been there. Could have cross-examined, could have offered witness, and both sides would have subpoena power. When Bill Clinton got to this point that he was going to have impeachment proceedings and he had a Republican Congress, what did they decide? In due process. That Bill Clinton's attorney could cross-examine Ken Starr. That he could offer witnesses. Because this is so important, whatever decision you come to, the country should have the information and it should be a fair process because you are going to break the fiber of democracy by removing a president with impeachment. It should not be taken lightly and it should not be political. I'm not in Pelosi's house. 
We have broken all norms. We have now decided politics matter more than democracy. And they're going to move within an intel committee that a member of Congress, and maybe this is the pattern that Adam Schiff believes it should be because intel only gets to read certain things that other members don't. Members of our conference have walked down because they're not allowed to be in the committee, those who are even on Judiciary Committee, to read the transcripts of Bolton. And they're turned away. So every day you read somewhere that something is leaked based upon what they want, but you can't have the whole basis. So not only does the country not get to know, the members of Congress that have to have that vote do not get to know. That is why it has overtaken our nation. That is why this is a dark day. That is why we could be so much better. So yes, my cup is always half full, but this is a point of time that people, not based on politics, but should fight for the republic of this nation. If this is to go forward this way, I fear for what the rest of the country will look like in the history of where we move. It will now become the norm. It doesn't matter when one party controls one house and the White House is controlled by another. You make a norm like this. When I watched, and you could not see it, Nancy Pelosi sitting inside that meeting, that was a meeting that wasn't about a budget. That was a meeting that wasn't about the border. That was a meeting about our national security. And she could not even put impeachment aside. She could not even read a letter that the president had handed her. She turned it over to make a point that everybody would see that she would not read it, that her mind was made up. Her mind was made up not only to read it, not to read it, but not even to stay there, to go to a mic and claim the President of the United States, I'm going to pray for him. Because he seems mentally ill in her view. To me, the concern was, if you are a real leader, and I've been through a lot of meetings that have people disagreement, Schumer yells at me every time I'm in the meeting. Right? <laughs> Nancy yelled at me in this one meeting, we're sitting working out the budget, and she yells at me, you shouldn't even be in the room because you're not the majority. I didn't walk out. I didn't go to the mic. I didn't complain. I sat in the room to get the work done. We are better than this. And for the idea that they want to use the media to create a narrative to be something different is disturbing to me. So will we get other things done? I don't know. I do believe they'll do USMCA now simply because they have not done anything else. Only because they're going to do impeachment will they do it. But by the basis of what they're doing it, they're actually harming the country even more. <clears throat> For those of you who study economics, you know that China is no longer our top trade. About a month and a half ago, you know who became number one? Mexico. You know who became number two? Canada. Imagine Xi Jinping next month meeting with our president, negotiating a trade agreement, and that we had USMC done. USMCA done, that we had a trade agreement with our top two traders that would only make us stronger. Would we be in a stronger position to negotiate with China, or would we be weaker by not doing it? Mexico's already ratified it. Canada is waiting on us to act and call everybody back. Trudeau's praying that it's done before October 21st because he's got an election. He's so worried about his election, he got President Obama to endorsement unheard of in a process. But I never thought that would be important, that you'd want a president of another country 
former president to endorse you for your country. Seems odd to, to me. But she cares more about tearing the president down than building the country up. They're more fixated on impeachment than they care about fixing the country. Surprise billing, we all know that's the number one challenge. Why can't we solve that? But there's a pattern here. The speaker earlier in the year, many of you follow energy and commerce, we had a bill, three bills with generic drugs that every Republican and every Democrat voted for. But before it came to the House, she put a poison pill on it. We sat at the beginning of this Congress in a shutdown of a basis about the border where we could have had funding for the border and we could have done something about the kids who were brought here at a young age. Something that she holds the record for the longest speech ever given on the floor. But there's only three people that could ever have that record because only three people have the magic minute. But she holds the longest. She talked for eight hours. But when she had the offer from the president to do something about it, she said no. That wasn't in public either, but that was at a meeting I was in. That's the concern I have. The concern of the, of the speaker that I see behind closed doors and out front that I have to meet with all the time is more concerned about having an argument in a political election than about solving the problem. Just why her last words before she left, you'll see what we're going to do. It seems to me she's already predetermined regardless of what the information says. Adam Schiff, who was the chairman of the Intel Committee, who said he did not know the whistleblower in line, who was concerned about the whistleblower and what was in that telephone call, but when the telephone call transcripts came out, what did he do from his own podium? He read what he hoped to have been in. It was so believable that the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, on national television with George Stephanopoulos, when he challenged that what Adam Schiff said was not true, she said, no, it was. So we'll have a vote on the floor about censuring Adam Schiff. The Democrats will all move to table. We didn't say kick him out of office. We didn't say remove him from his position. We just thought something that was equal punishment for what he had put the country through. That's when you'll see with somebody who wants to be a statesman or not. I think anybody else would go to the well and apologize. But that's who they put in charge. We've got other challenges to go, but I, you know we're going to go into a political year next year. Politics, they're going to try to play impeachment. I don't know which way it's going to play, but I came out of the field in 95 seats. The country will take a position. Will it harm democracy? Yes. But what it will determine when it comes to political outcomes, it's really just in those 95 seats, will be determination. Will drive turnout up and safe seats? Yes. But that won't change the outcome. Those 95 seats will change the outcome. You know what it says in those 95 seats? More people believe Biden should be investigated than the president should be impeached. 63% believe nothing in that phone call is impeachable. Of those who are for impeachment, 73% of them were for impeachment in 2016 when he got elected. It wasn't about the call. It was their dislike of who he was. It doesn't matter. That is not how the country works. So, what I see happening, yes, we're going we're to have a pretty good campaign. I'd rather be us than them. There are a number of numbers you should know. 
The number you should always remember is 19. It's 19 seats to flip the House. That number is a smaller number than Nancy Pelosi had two years ago. There's 55 seats we're going to play in. 31 of those 55, President Trump carried. The first 13 of those 31 are ruby red. Those are seats that in a norm in a presidential year are going to come back. Don't get too close to Kendra Horn because I think this is her last term. <coughs> Go out to Salt Lake City, it's great. He'll always be known as a congressman, but he'll be known as a one-term congressman. T.J. Cox, he's just trying to not be indicted before the, the primary happens so he could be on the ballot and lose. Okay, the Max Rose is so ingratiated now into the Democratic new philosophy that he does not believe you're innocent until proven guilty because his recent statement was, the president says he's innocent, he now has to prove it. Staten Island will go for the president by more than 11 points. The difference is, are we going to spend our time finding the right candidates? This is something I spent a lot of time on. If you'll notice, in the last election cycle, we had 30 tough races, and 28 of those 30 were white males. The biggest record we've ever had for Republicans is 128 women candidates. I'm already at 126. Give me the next week, and I'll shatter that record. If you take the top races we have today, the majority of our candidates are women, not men. If you look at the, are we going to look like America in the process? If you want to be smart and invest early in somebody and look like you bought a stock that doubles, max out to Wesley Hunt. Not simply because you want to look smart, but you want to do something for the nation. Wesley Hunt graduated from West Point, but he's not the only person in his family to graduate from West Point. This is Culberson seat, old seat down in Houston. His brother graduated from West Point a year after. Do you know what's even more remarkable? His sister graduated from West Point 10 years before. He flew Apaches for eight years. He happens to be African-American. He fought for what he believed was freedom and the fear of what would happen in America. And now he looked at me and said, I think the new battle lines are here in DC. He's gotten into the race, never elected before. His first quarter, he raised half a million dollars. I just did a poll in his district. He's ahead by three. David Valadeo, we know who was cheated in the election. The day after the election, he had a head by six points. He decided to get back in the race. In 45 days, he raised half a million dollars. I just did a poll. He's ahead by 13 points. T.J. Cox is at a 35% reelect. Anyone will tell you who's been in our positions before, a 35% reelect for an incumbent, you got to start looking for another job. David Valadeo's seat is not going to be carried by Donald Trump. He's not one of the 31. But David Valadeo will win. Young Kim, born in South Korea, went for a new member orientation, was cheated in the process last time. She just did a poll, she was ahead by three points, and she outraised the incumbent. Michelle Still, born in China, even when it comes to data robocracy. Any place you want to move and see, you'll find that we spend our time on the quality of the candidates. Now the answer is going to be. Why wouldn't they do an impeachment inquiry? Because you've got 31 members sitting in there that know their district believes something different. But the question won't be, did you vote for impeachment inquiry? Did you give a due process to something so important of democracy? It's not about who it's about. It's about country. And I think Nancy Pelosi is letting her emotions run. 
Now, I've watched our party do it as well. I've watched in 2010 when we were trying to win the majority in the House, trying to pick up races in the Senate. We had a great opportunity in Delaware. We had a great candidate, Castle, who was the governor, who was the former governor and now the member of Congress. He ran, and the Republicans were so frustrated with Obama. What did we do? Castle lost in the primary to a woman who had to have a press conference claiming she wasn't a witch. Or we watched Harry Reid out in Nevada. Who did we nominate? Or from Missouri or Indiana. But when we did finally find people who wanted to serve just the nation, the seats came back exactly where they should. An interesting thing, if you, if you wonder if I'm right or wrong, study North Carolina now. Yeah, there were two special elections there, and yes, we should have won one. There was a point in time that I questioned whether we even should invest in North Carolina 9. Why? Not because we didn't have a candidate yet. I didn't know who that would be. We had only won the race by 900 votes, and there was questions whether this person harvested the ballot like Democrats did in California. So he could have only won it by 400. They had the exact same candidate, the Democrats. Good candidate. Marine, small business owner, but he had 95% name ID. He had $8 million spent on him the time before, and he barely lost the race in 2018. We had to go through a primary, then go through a general, and we only had six weeks of parity. We had to come from behind. Early voting in North Carolina is an advantage to Democrats. Day of the election is when Republicans have to turn out. When the early voting numbers came out ahead of time, their actual numbers were better than they were in 2018. This is the sign that you'll know we're in a much better place. Not one person complained or put the blame on somebody else. We just doubled down and did the work and adapted a strategy that would actually get there. If you write a plan that you know that will work, believe in the plan and follow it. And that's exactly what we did. But something happened between that early voting and election day. A little hurricane came. Everybody was worried about Florida. Thank God it did not hit Florida. But it did touch down. It touched down in two congressional districts, two congressional districts that actually had a special election. The Democratic governor didn't decide that he needed to move the election day because a lot of people had voted in that early voting and felt it would be enough. So we were going to fly down there with the president the day before, and we did. But the weather was so bad, even on that day, we could not get in out of the plane and go travel in the helicopters to visit the damage because there was hail going down. The first when they came in, we were in the plane. The military guys come in to tell the president, we think this is very difficult. We, we don't know when we land, Mr. President. We don't think you could fly there. And the president turns right away without payment. We got the best pilots we can go. They come back in a little later and they say, Mr. President, you can't go. There's hail. We put Kevin on the helicopter, but we can't put you, Mr. President. <laughs> so we did not go. But he still held that meeting. He brought him in, brought him into the plane. And you know what? Democratic governor, he didn't storm out. They actually talked about it. Very cordial. We had to hold the rally, not the place we wanted to. Where we held the rally was three quarters in Richard Hudson's district, not in Bishop's district. We had to overcome 5,000 vote deficit, if you ask me, before on election day. And we did. And we did not win by 400. We did not win by 900. We won by more than 4,000. You know what you found? You found Democrats starting voting with Republicans because they now have a record. In the 2018 election, we were fearful that Nancy Pelosi would become the speaker, that she is um, representative of San Francisco. She is now a moderate in the Democratic Party. 
Four new members of the Democratic Party have redefined it. It's no longer the Democratic Party that you and I know and would debate again. It is now a socialist Democratic Party. They call themselves that. They don't call themselves Democrats. And now they're endorsing Bernie Sanders, who was registered before as a socialist. Bernie Sanders went 1984 on his honeymoon to the Soviet Union. True, it's not a joke. It's what he picked. Mm -hmm. And he came back and bragged about it. You should see the bread lines. They're wonderful. <laughs> 2018 was our low point. Just the sheer number in the generic ballot is 13 seats out of the 19 I need to start out with. And that's not counting what they're doing today. What will they run for re-election on those 31? What did they accomplish? Name me one problem they solved. Even in the Democrat polling, they can't name one thing that they have done legislatively. All they can name are investigations. Now, the topper of all this, this is going to be a presidential year. So who's going to be on the ticket? President Trump will be the nominee for Republicans. Now, I, I've always said you can't always know who's going to be the nominee, so you first look at the structure. Look at the Democratic structure of how they nominate. It's different than it was four years ago. No longer a superdelegate on the first round. The superdelegate is the insurance policy that somebody from the far left can't win. So they had to remove it. Why? Because they felt they cheated Bernie Sanders last time. So it's open for somebody on the far left. No state is winner take all. So it's all proportional. No disrespect to um, Joe Biden, but his timing is all wrong. Timing is the most important thing in politics, and besides the fact you look at his fundraising, everything else. He works as hard as he can to get 200 people to a rally. He gives a speech. Not one question is asked, but it comes out negative because he talked. He tells a story of a day gone by, not a day for the future. There's only five real players, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Mayor Pete, and Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris seems like her best day of her campaign was her announcement, and it seems gone down since then. Mayor Pete has taken the lane of Beto O'Rourke. He's going to be the first choice of every white liberal, but he doesn't seem to move the base inside the Democratic um, conference. So I think he's playing for VP. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are running in the same path. I was afraid that Elizabeth Warren wouldn't be able to get there by the way she set her structure of her campaigning. That she would take no big donors, only small grassroots. She's done quite well. At the end of the day, Elizabeth Warren is going to be their nominee. From every polling that you read, she's the only one moving, and she's not taking it from one person. She's taking it from all of them. They're ganging up on her now because they're seeing internally in their own poll as well. But she will distance them because that's where the base of the party is at. The squad has now gone and going to enter, um, endorse Bernie. Bernie's not going to survive, and they'll fall to Elizabeth. It's going to be about socialism versus freedom. It's going to be four topics. It's going to be the economy. It's going to be health care. It's going to be um, immigration. And it's going to be the environment. Our weakest of all that is the environment. There are more 28-year-olds in America today than any other age. Their number one and number two issue is the environment. If you're worried about the Republican Party of the future, this is the, our moment in time to actually show what we believe. In California, you outlaw the plastic straw because they're concerned about the ocean. 
I'm concerned about the ocean. I'm concerned about plastic in the ocean. But I also use my mind to think, is it the plastic straw that's causing it? Or is it the 10 rivers in the world that supply 90% of all the plastic in the ocean? So you're going to find us will roll out a bill that will take our foreign aid to those nations and only focus on cleaning up those 10 rivers. Why? Because we'll, we'll eliminate 90% of the plastic that's in the ocean, and they'll eliminate the straw. If you're concerned about climate change, you're worried about CO2. The great thing about technology, it now allows us to extract CO2 from the air. They're actually building a large scale of this in Texas, where Bill Gates has invested, Chevron, and Oxy. Why wouldn't we as government, having worked for Ways and Means and others, why wouldn't we enhance the ability for any company that wants to extract CO2 from the air if we're concerned about where climate change is going to go for this world? That's what we do. Enhance the ability of people for investment. Nuclear is clean, but nuclear with technology today, you could be small nuclear. Why wouldn't we enhance that ability? Most scientists will tell you if you're concerned about climate change, plant a trillion trees. But that's such a large number, is it not? Ethiopia this year planted more than 300 million in 12 hours with no government money. It's not so large after all, right? So think about the Republican Party and the trillion tree program. And in the next break, every member out planting trees. What if we challenge you to just plant three trees per person? The canopy of the earth, make the quality of life better. Would you look at us a little different? Would you rate the scale? There's a difference in philosophy. When it came to health care, we had people who were uninsured. And the answer for the Democrats was we all had to lower our standards to deal with them instead of taking care of the issue. When it comes to climate change and others, they say we have to lower our economic standards to deal with it. We say, no, let's solve the problem and economically let's continue to grow and use technology to solve it. It's now a debate I believe we can win. When it comes to health care, we lost it by 66 points last night. And we lost it by 34, we'd be in a different place. Any time in health care that you're taking something away from somebody, Obamacare, if you like your health care, you could keep it, take it away. We took an amendment last year that had pre-existing conditions dealing with it. It didn't actually do it, but they are able to sell it to the American public that we are doing something about pre-existing conditions. They even hit people who are running for Congress for the very first time. Medicare for all, it's definitely going to take something from 180 million Americans. The economy, I'll run every day on that. When it comes to immigration, it's no longer about fixing the immigration system. The Democrats have gone so far, they've taken the value away from being a citizen. What is the value of being a citizen today if you get free health care? If there's no difference between citizenship and non-citizenship? <clears throat> See, I, I believe America is more than a country. America is an idea. An idea so powerful that two million people in Hong Kong will come out in the rain in a place of only eight million for the idea of freedom of speech. Or 30 years ago in Tiananmen Square, a million people get together for the same concept and what do they do when they're together? They don't burn trash, they build a statue. Something to symbolize why they're there. What does the statue look like? The Statue of Liberty. And where do they mount it? Directly across from Mao. Or in the 80s, the shipyard workers in Poland. There's a reason why the values of America should grow. And when we have this debate for the presidency, I don't see the new Socialist Democratic Party standing for the values of America. 
I see them criticizing us and thinking the values of other countries that should lead us. That's not where we stand. I feel bad for them because they're not the Democrats of old. So Colin Peterson, when they ask him if he's going to run for re-election, he says, ask me in January. You know why? The person I've been trying to get to run for the last 10 years has finally gotten in. You need to meet Michelle. She is the first woman president of the Senate. She's a former lieutenant governor. Donald Trump will carry his district by 22 points. He's a nice man. I'll still talk to him when he's a former member. <laughs> but the difference is, if he stays, Nancy's the speaker. And she's the speaker in name only because it watched the floor. And this is how I'll close. In the Senate, their first bill, SB1, was to end the BDS movement of Israel. You wouldn't think that's controversial. It passed the Senate by more than 70 votes. Chuck Schumer not only voted for it, he co-sponsored it. Name me one hearing that it's had inside the House. Why hasn't it had a hearing? Because the squad, the squad controls the floor. So what did they do? They had to pass a resolution, not a bill. And they tried to celebrate that. That's only the beginning. So I'd rather be us than them, because I know tomorrow will be better than today. And I can't wait to get to the debate floor to have the argument. Because if they're going to lead with a man who lies to the American public, I think American public will see through it. Thank you very much. Thank you.